Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's Men's Divorce Podcast, moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout, bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and everything related to family law. This podcast is not to be taken as legal advice, and no attorney-client relationship is established. Hey, welcome back to the Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, Managing Partner and CEO of Cordell & Cordell. And we're going to talk to you today about a topic that is so relevant. It's really child support and alimony. What is it? How does it work? And obviously across the country, it's different in every state, but there's some common issues and strategies that relates to both of them and the mystery surrounding how they're calculated, because I get that all the time. Uh, I have questions about child support. I have questions about alimony. And so we're joined today, thankfully, from Kevin in Alpharetta, Georgia. Welcome. Thank you, Scott. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Um, so ready to talk about child support and alimony, and I can address it from the perspective uh, of Georgia. I do think that it's probably fairly similar across some of the states. Obviously, it's not exactly the same. So uh, it could be vastly different um, in some states and some states is pretty similar. But um, yeah. so just to jump into it. So child, so child support and alimony obviously are both forms of support. Child support is for the children. Alimony is financial support for a spouse. Child support obviously is usually in the form of a monthly payment. And we'll address how that is usually calculated yeah. or strictly calculated in Georgia. Alimony is usually in the form of a set monthly payment for a fixed number of months or years. Uh, but it can also be in other forms like a lump sum alimony or payments uh, sort of in kind for other things like a car payment or a mortgage to a home. Yeah. You talk about child support alimony, if they're, you know, that's the kind of word we used to use a lot. A lot of states still use it. It's spousal support, maintenance, whatever. It's yeah. common words. But child support, the common question I get is, look, I, I take care of my kid. You know, I pay for this. Yeah. I pay for that. Why am I paying more? Isn't that part of child support? So there are other forms yeah. of child support. So what kind of, what would, would you expect to see as other forms of support that would normally a guy or, or a mom or would be paying? All right. So in Georgia, we'll have a set child support amount. Other forms of child support that are required to be addressed by the court are work-related child care expenses and uninsured medical expenses. And then there's other uh, parameters or other issues that could be addressed by the court potentially, like extracurricular activities. So work-related child care expenses, uh, it is re a requirement that those are addressed if they do exist. So in addition to child support, the parties may have to share um, to some degree in work-related child care expenses, uh, medical insurance premiums as well. One party is probably going to be responsible for payment of those. Uh, but that would be an adjustment to the child support obligation. So the amount that someone pays for medical insurance premium will be factored into the child support calculation. Yeah. And then extracurricular activities, uh, that's the situation where, you know, most times you'll see parents, I think, even though they're getting divorced, they'll often agree as to what they want their children to, to participate in. They usually don't want the children to, to not participate in it, even though they're getting divorced. So you'll often see agreements where the parties agree to share certain expenses related to their kids' activities. And if the parties don't agree, the court does have the discretion to put that those factors or that those costs into the child support calculator. Yeah. And they could either increase or decrease the, the child support obligation, depending upon who's paying for those expenses. I think child support for the most part is, you know, maybe the more common thing. And then the, the mystery is an alimony. 
well, what is it? How does it calculate? And, you know, there are different forms. And even in Missouri, where I practice primarily, even though I'm licensed in Missouri, Illinois, and Georgia, the, we have lump sum, we have periodic, we have modifiable, we have non-modifiable. Okay. It, it can take all types of forms, right? Yes. So in Georgia, we have pretty much all those forms. Um, the most common form that you'll see is just a monthly payment for a fixed number of months or years. Uh, we do have lumps of alimony in Georgia. If you do agree to pay, pay lumps of alimony, and this is very important, uh, that is non-modifiable. And the reason I say it's very important, I have uh, come across some of our clients or potential clients who were divorced previously, and they either did it on their own or they did it with an attorney that maybe didn't explain it to them. And I, and I have seen this happen where they've agreed to a lump sum or a fixed amount of, of funds over a number of years, and, and it was not modifiable. So it's very important that uh, at least in Georgia, the terms are explained to the person that's agreeing to pay alimony so they understand whether it's modifiable or not. So that's a big factor in Georgia that's really important to take a look at. And we'll talk a little bit, you know, about the calculation, the methods. Let's talk about child support because it is a hot topic about, you know, one, either disagreeing with how it's calculated, but more importantly, how is it in Georgia? How is child support calculated? Is it formulaic? What, What does the court consider? Sure. So it is definitely formulaic and the court is required to go by the child support guidelines. So we can usually predict with a decent amount of certainty what the child support obligation will be in Georgia because of the calculator. Whereas with alimony, it's very discretionary with the court. Um, so in, in the, the primary factors for calculation of child support in Georgia are going to be both parties' gross incomes, not net incomes, just actual gross monthly incomes. Uh, and then it would be medical insurance premiums and, and the issue of work-related childcare expenses. So those three, I guess, four factors, if you include the mother's income, the father's income, medical insurance premiums, and the uh, childcare expenses, you have those factors and you could pretty much determine with a reasonable certainty what the child support obligation will be. So in Missouri, we have a, what we call a Form 14, and that is kind of this spreadsheet we use to calculate and and likewise we use gross income and at the very bottom after we do certain things it says presumed child support amount that's a it's an interesting word because it is presumed it's not absolute it's not definitive we have the ability to deviate through a number of things it could be number of overnights it could be that it's we have this catch-all phrase that the number is unjust and inappropriate period and then the court really has wide discretion here in Missouri to determine whether or not it needs to go up or go down. Uh, can you do that in Georgia? Well, actually, everything you just said sounds extremely similar to our statute. So we have those same words, unjust and appropriate. We have a um, presumptive amount of child support. So the factors that I just mentioned before, the incomes, work-related child care expenses and, and medical insurance premiums, those factors, you will arrive to the presumptive amount of child support and then the judge does have the discretion to deviate from the presumptive amount based on a whole number of different factors. The only ones that I usually see that really pop up, private school education, extracurricular activity expenses, and parenting time deviations. Those are primarily the ones that you'll usually see. Um, So that is complete discretionary with the judge. Some of the things they'll look at certainly with private school is, you know, did the child or the children, have they historically gone to private school? And the reality is, you know, in a divorcing family with two different with two households now, sometimes the reality is that maybe it's not affordable. So, you know, it depends on what your you know your client desires to have happen here. Uh, but there are times where it just it, it it can't happen because there's not enough money to go around. 
but if there is, and, and the children have historically gone, there's a good chance the court may include that in the calculation uh, for child support in Georgia. So on the parent deviation, that's a big hot topic, obviously. Missouri eventually got to what we call a percentage line 11 adjustment. And Missouri just changed and passed a new statute that requires the court in any custody to start, period. It is presumed that equal parenting time is in the best interest of the children. So they start there, which is a really interesting new twist in the law that substantially discounts the presumed amount on an adjustment. So how does it work? Is it really subjective? Is there guidance in Georgia on how that parent deviation works? Well, unfortunately, there is no guidance. That is something I I believe when the new child support statute in 2007 was enacted, they left out. Um, I think this legislature couldn't come to a determination as to how to apply it. It sounds like they did finally in Missouri. So in Georgia, we have the parenting time deviation, but it is all that there's no guidance in the statute. So we just have to go kind of with local practices. Um, and we don't have a situation where we, where we can count the number of overnights we have. Uh, but usually in a situation, if somebody does have about, I would say around thir- anywhere from 35 to maybe 45 percent of the parenting time, you may be able to success- successfully get a parenting time deviation. And how that is applied is pretty discretionary with the courts, but we, we, we kind of have a few different ways we approach it typically yeah. to, you know, make a good argument to get that deviation. Right. And you and judge to judge, I imagine. And you have some ideas of the judges the same what they typically go with in terms of a deviation, I imagine. Yes, exactly. And uh, some judges don't like it, some do like it, but uh, there yeah. are certain times where you can make a, a good argument to them and usually yeah. they go with it. Yeah. Any additional arguments you can make to try to drive that number either down or, or up, if depending upon your circumstance? Sure. So the incomes, um, so we can always argue what goes into the calculator, obviously, and that's where the arguments in child support come. So you could argue about the party's respective incomes. So if you have variable incomes, so many of our clients may work in the sales industry, you're commission-based, uh, bonus-based, heavily dependent upon those for their incomes. So what we'll usually look to in those situations is if they had a great year, like I know some people had an incredible year based on the industry they're in in 2020, as strange as that sounds, some people had a phenomenal year um, in certain industries, but that was an anomaly. So we usually go to like a three-year average, but there are times where that doesn't say, there's nothing that says it has to be a three-year average. So sometimes four years makes sense, sometimes five years makes sense. So what we'll do is try to look to the history of earnings for our clients, um, and come up with a reasonable average so that their income isn't disproportionately higher than right. it otherwise would be, which is what I think the other side would want the courts yeah. to use. So, so usually they'll look to a reasonable average. So we can argue what goes into into uh, the party's incomes for the child support calculator. There's not much arguments about what the medical insurance premiums are. And then obviously you could argue about whether or not deviations should go into the calculator, like extracurricular activity expenses, Um, whether or not private schools should be continued, stuff like that. It's interesting because a lot of lawyers, I, you know, that's maybe a common complaint you see from clients that say, look, you told me that's the number. That's the number we got to pay the number. And we've always maintained, and I have always, look, I'm going to make every argument I can to get to deviate, whether it's up or down, depending upon what you want. And that's why the law allows us to do it. And I think being creative in that regard the averages. I've been talking about, you know, the economy and inflation, and now that's a good reason to deviate either upward or downward based upon the standards of living and what everything's costing. And the amount of money available is really no longer the amount of money available because yeah. income hasn't kept pace with uh, the cost of living. It's really an interesting argument. And I'm seeing at least judges being very receptive to deviations simply because the economy and where in yeah. the status. So 
That's a great point, actually. And that's something we've started to address uh, this year, I'd say, with the inflation and the cost of rent being so high. So when parties are divorcing and with the mortgage uh, interest rates as they are, if they go to get a new home, their mortgage is going to be higher than it was. And and if they go to rent, it's way higher than it used to be. So we are making arguments to the judges that there needs to be some accommodation for a reduction from the presumptive amount of child support based on the fact that they're not going to be able to actually have a, you know, a decent yeah. standard of living. They don't have yeah, to have a perfect standard of living, but they have to be able to live and go to work right. and make income yeah, and this, have their the kids. Status, yeah, the status quo is no longer available and, and yeah. means that, you know, you either bankrupt one person or you change the standard of living, the living for both. And that's yeah. what I, we're arguing for the judges. Look, you, you can no longer rely on the calculation simply because it will bankrupt the payor spouse. Yeah. And so yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. So let's just transition to alimony, kind of go through uh, the generalities of it. Kind of, you know, that's always the question of how long do I have to pay? Is it forever? Missouri is very different than many states. Um, and, you know, in terms of how is it, you know, the term, what what is it? Talk a little bit about in Georgia what you typically see. Sure. So we look to, at least initially for our discussions, we'll look at the term of alimony. And that just covers the length of how long you would pay alimony for. And then there's the amount. So there's nothing in the statute in Georgia that addresses how long alimony should be paid for or how you come up with the amount of alimony. So it's very discretionary with the judge and it may vary from locality to locality. But generally speaking, in Georgia, uh, an unwritten rule, I'd say, is that uh, payor may pay alimony for about one third the length of the marriage. So if you've been married for about 10 years, I can you can reasonably expect to pay about three or four years potentially of alimony. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. And there's nothing that says it's always going to be that way. But that's that's a general practice that um, you could see across the board, at least in metropolitan Atlanta. That's what we typically see. And yeah. I think that's pretty broad across Georgia as well. So that's the length of the term. Now, if you've only been married for a couple of years, it doesn't mean you're going to be paying alimony for 13 or 14 months or something like that. Usually, I don't see alimony awarded in a short-term marriage like that. Um, As far as the amount of alimony goes, yes, that is often uh, a disputed hot topic, always a point of pretty much always a point of contention at mediation, uh, settlement discussions, and certainly a trial. And I would say that's one of the most heavily probably litigated issues out there. Parties often agree on division of property. Uh, they often can agree on what's best for their children, not always, but uh, one issue that you don't usually see an agreement upon is, is alimony, at least not initially. Yeah, it's interesting, the commonalities in Missouri, although as progressive as it may be on child support, it seems that it hasn't made up any ground. I mean, this is my 31st year of practice, and the alimony laws haven't changed one bit. Yeah. Uh, very, very discretionary, but it's a, oftentimes a lifetime award, no matter what. Oh, okay. um, so there's no, I love the one third of the marriage. You just won't see that. And I'll always describe to clients, same facts, same judge given to that judge 11 times out of 10, you'll get different result. And it's just, it's crazy wow. and because it's so subjective and there is no, that's why the lump sum, the term, and it's a lifetime open-ended modifiable maintenance award. And it's oftentimes difficult to terminate that maintenance. I had a, a case we went to the Supreme Court on, six-year marriage, he'd been paying for 12 plus, wow. and I still couldn't get it terminated. Jeez. It's crazy. So yeah, yeah it, it's it's very, as you say, I mean, it's you know very discretionary, but I like the guidance in Georgia about typically the one third, that at least gives clients something you know some relief in that regard um now in terms of the amount you know again discretionary fully by the judge 
Yes, there's no calculator on like child support. And I've heard there are some states out there that have a calculator. And sometimes I think they will be good, but then yeah. who knows? It could be bad. But as far as how we come up with that amount, so the analysis that we usually do with our clients, at least initially for the discussions of trying to get an idea as to what the payments could be, it's really, we're looking at a need for alimony versus an ability to pay. And I always tell my clients, we could start on either side of that analysis. It doesn't matter which side. So let's say we focused on um, one person's need for alimony. What we're trying to do in that situation is predict to the degree possible what their post-divorce expenses may be. Now, at least in Georgia, there's not an expectation necessarily that every uh, that alimony is going to cover every expense um, out there for the recipient of alimony, although there are situations where if the person can afford it, it may be. But usually what we're looking at is the big ticket items is what I refer to them as. So post-divorce, someone's definitely going to have a mortgage or rent, medical insurance, premiums, auto insurance, car payment. Those are the things I look at at least first, maybe utilities as well. And we try to come up with a number, okay, if they have no income and they're living on their own with, with no children, what do you think they would need not to necessarily lead the same exact lifestyle that they've been leading, right. which is what the alimony statute does indicate that, but at least in practice, it's not exactly like that in Georgia. So we're looking for their need for alimony and, and what does that number look like? And then once we come up with that just general kind of number, we'll shift over to the payor side. So if I'm talking to my client, he has a potential alimony obligation. We want to see if he actually would have the ability to pay. So yeah. what we look at there is, you know, we could start with the gross income, but then we know you have to pay taxes. You can't get out of that. So we'll take away the taxes. If you're paying child support, you can't get out of that. So we take that away. And then unlike child support, which doesn't care about, you know, your expenses, like your day-to-day -day expenses, Alimony does allow the court to consider all your reasonable, necessary expenses. So if you have a mortgage, you have rent, you have a car payment, you need to uh, go to work and, and buy clothes to and eat to continue to have the same career that you have had to pay these, the support, the court will take all that into consideration. So we'll try yeah. to whittle down and then theoretically, whatever is left after we reduce all those expenses and take them away is what that person would have as an ability to right. pay alimony. It doesn't mean they're going to pay that amount. But that's usually where we start the discussion. And at some point, you'll get to kind of a, I, I guess I would say a rubric maybe of, or, you know, realm of, of possibility of what right. those numbers could be. Yeah. And that's exactly one of the mistakes men make when facing divorce. And I've said this over and over is not paying enough attention to their initial financial disclosure. It's called something different right. in every state and putting more income than expenses, meaning, and they really don't have it. And, you know, guys will say, and on this document, and it shows that they've got $2,000 left over. But in yeah. reality, they're telling me, well, I don't have that. Well, you made a mistake. Pay attention to that document because the court's going to rely on it. And, you know, I tried a case in Georgia many years ago, and that was the very thing that happened. The wife presented an income and expense statement or whatever. It was, it was not accurate. And it showed that she had more income. And the judge hammered her on it and that she didn't need maintenance. So they didn't award maintenance because that ah. was the evidence. And so it's very important. But the ability to pay is a great argument, you know, in terms, of especially now, as we discussed inflation and what that does to your ability, yeah. net income. We do the very similar um, approach in trying to analyze that. And so what happens when you have a spouse who, who wants alimony but isn't working uh, and oh. hasn't been doing that for a number of years? Yes, that those are certainly tougher cases. What we'll try to do in those situations, I mean, there's a couple approaches you could take. Obviously, you want to look into her background and what 
She has the ability to potentially earn. There's always experts that you could potentially uh, retain or employ to analyze their ability uh, to work. However, if those are not available, uh, what I would say is one thing that we'll consider, at least in Georgia, is is the not, the amount of alimony does not need to be the same for the duration of the term. So it could be a certain amount for years one and two, and then three and four, and and successively reduced down uh, to a lowest amount towards the end of the term. So what we might do in that situation is, is front end a high alimony amount, which isn't ideal, but you do that for a year or two, and that would be considered rehabilitative alimony in Georgia. We don't actually have that in the statute, but that's what the judges will look at it like to give her an opportunity to become self-supporting. And then the amount should reduce fairly significantly uh, after a couple of years. Uh, but that is an unfortunate circumstance. Sometimes, um, you know, the first year or two could be a high a- amount of alimony, um, but there should be some reduction as the years go on. Yeah. And there's ways I've used experts of what's called a vocational rehabilitation right. expert, you know, just to try and say, okay, this is what they're capable of making. They have a, they have an RN and they just haven't used it in five years. Can they, you know, get back into the field? Uh, there's plenty of opportunities on that. And, and that's why I say all is not lost. I actually feel like I have more flexibility on an argument on alimony than I do on child support and trying to look yeah. to lower that amount. And that it doesn't seem logical, but it is. And so yeah. in, interesting. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. That's the same here, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. Kevin, thank you so much for a great okay. quick snapshot update on child support and alimony. We could keep going for another hour and dig right into it. Maybe sure. another time for a virtual right. town hall. So thanks sure. for joining uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. Appreciate it. All right. You're welcome. Thank you, Scott, for having me. I appreciate it. We'll continue to tune in. Check out iTunes. Check out our YouTube channel and give us a call 866-DADS-LAW or find us on the web at CordellCordell.com. You can go to your office by doing just a search where the closest office to you is by putting in your address or zip code. Or if you want to schedule a consultation, which is the only place you can get legal advice, can't do that here, too general, you can go to the schedule now button that is sitting on our website. Just find your office, find a time that's convenient for you. You can do it in person on the phone Zoom, WebEx, whatever's convenient for you. That's at CordellCordell.com. So stay tuned. Look for the next virtual town hall where you can log in live, ask questions of a panel of Cordell attorneys and get answers right then and right there. Check us out on all the social media, Facebook and Instagram. And until next time, have a great week.